Hi, I'm Kaylee, And I'm David. A few months ago, I put out a tweet with a picture of the Beatles saying, I don't know who these men are. And I replied saying, no, of course you do. Everyone knows who the Beatles are. But actually, I don't know who the Beatles are. So now we're trying to ask all the awkward questions about things you probably should know about, but don't. I'm teaching David all about TikTok, YouTube drama and anything post 2017. And I'm teaching Kaylee about historical figures, bands from before she was born and basically anything pre-1998. That's actually the year I was born. And that's actually disgusting. <laughs> Join, Join us, us on, on the hunt, hunt for, for the, the Beatles. Beatles. Hello. Hunters. Before we start this week's episode, I'm not going to be speaking in my, 1950- my 1950s BBC reporter voice. Before we properly get into this week's episode, we'd just like to say a quick thank you um, to one of my friends, Maxwell Wright. Uh, as you may be able to hear, we have both got ourselves some new microphones, Kaylee. Hello, David. Here's my nice new microphone voice. Oh. Wow. I'd pay £4 a minute in the 90s to phone you up (laughs) and have you tell me about (laughs) what you've done today with that clearer microphone. I don't like that. I really don't like that. (laughs) Also, just because I've shouted out Maxwell... Uh, and one of my close friends uh, that listens to us, almost certainly when this me- episode goes public, will hear Maxwell's name mentioned mm-hmm. and will message me personally, <laughs> as he does pretty much every episode he messaged me about it, which I love. Uh, he will message me saying, I see Maxwell got a shout out, when am I getting mine? So this is me preempting uh-huh. okay. that message yeah. and say, this is a shout out to George, here is the shout out that I know you're going <laughs> to ask for. Um, so go, please enjoy that moment of fame. Kaylee. Yes. Tell me one good thing about your day. I've had a pretty like normal day. I, I was really happy today because I went to the gym and I bought this like gym set from Asda and it's like crop top sports bra and trousers and I've always, I've never been like confident enough to just go in the set I've always put a t-shirt on but like today I didn't I just like went out in the set and I don't, I don't know it felt it was like nice I was I felt like confident in my body and like was out on the Amazing. gym on the treadmill and doing abs and stuff and like and I'm going to the gym fairly regularly now too so I'm feeling pretty good about myself yeah what about you David I have also had a very normal day Mm-hmm. Uh, I my good moment of the day so I work from home for anyone that doesn't know and where I sit I, I me and my partner have um, a top floor flat in the block mm-hmm. so we don't have any normal windows as such we only have Velux roof windows oh yeah yeah and where my desk is in the flat it's not quite directly under a Velux but it's like directly under and then like a foot to one side. Mm -hmm. So we moved into the flat in winter, late autumn, winter last year. And so we didn't know that this maybe come summer wouldn't necessarily be the greatest place to put a desk. (laughs) Oh no. So basically today, between three and half four, 
I was effectively sunbathing <laughs> because my where my chair is, I had the sun blazing through and obviously like intensified through the glass. Yeah, yeah. And I literally put my sunglasses on <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to pretend I'm at the beach. <laughs> Just doing work. Just uh, it was quite pleasant. It's, it's the sort of thing that like day one, like this is the first day it's properly happened. Mm. It's a novelty. Get to August yeah, when yeah. we're like in the middle of a heat wave and it's not rain for three weeks, and I've like you know got a sun cream up every three hours to sit at my desk, then I will probably be furious about it. But I enjoyed it today. It was a nice, nice little sunshine treat. Do you not, especially seeing as I don't think I'm going to get outside much today. Fair enough. Do you not? Do you not put on sunscreen every day? No, I. So my grandparents are Hispanic. And so I have naturally tanning sort of olive skin. I got the you the hardcore tan. I know you should put it on because <laughs> it's good for your skin and blah, 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 blah. But I'm almost certain that that's something that was invented by the sun cream companies to get you to invest in their product all year round as opposed to seasonally. Well, no, I don't put... I, I, I only put it on my face every day. I don't put it on my entire... I'm not like lathering myself up every morning to go out. I just put it on my face so then I look younger for longer. When I'm 60, I will not be fussed about how young my face looks. I will be, I want to be those leathery British holiday makers with their tattoos that looked great 30 years ago, but they've been cooked to death and the colours faded and they are, they're like, they literally look like the colour of like a Mackey's burger patty. I hate that. Like that's how cooked they are. I hate that you've just said that. That's gross. I couldn't do that. I'm going to look after at least my face. Like my whole body will be like disgusting. But my face will be like, I'll look, I'll look like I do now. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> that would be such a weird contrast. <laughs> It'd be like the opposite of those people that don't really make the effort to blend when they put foundation <laughs> and so the face is one colour and the neck is like yeah, I'll have a, a completely different colour. No. You'll be the opposite. You'll have like a really heftily wrinkly no, neck I, I, <laughs> and then a perfectly smooth face. I go down to my neck when I do my skincare. Come on. The neck oh. is the face. When does your face stop? <laughs> well, if the neck is the face, then surely the collarbone <laughs> is the face. This is what I'm saying. Like this, the whole body is, this... is the face. All I'm saying is you don't know. You can't tell me that there's a difference. <laughs> in years to come, we may discover that the upper chest is in fact the face. <laughs> Talking of faces, did you know? So we're going to talk about the match girl strikes today. And one of the side effects of working in a match company is a condition called Fossy Jaw, where your chin kind of falls apart and it does... It looks like you've got your face goes into your neck. So... I didn't plan oh, for that to happen. That's a great but, segue. That's a, a, a almost professional level. Uh, yeah, um, I did. I I thought of it and then didn't really know how to execute it very well. But yes, it's a good segue. Into I thought to today you were referencing here we go Vossy Pop by Stormzy. <laughs> <laughs> like you, what, you said. I think there is actually someone said. called Fossy. No, um. And I heard Vossy Pop. Foss. Fossy sounds like Fuzz, Fuzzy Bear, Fossy Bear from the Muppet. Fossy? There is also the choreographer oh. Fossy, Bob Fossy. Anyway, Kaylee, yes, you have subtly introduced it. Now, fully ram it into our face. Introduce it, please. This week's 
main topic. This week's main topic, David, is the Match Girl Strikes. So, obviously, we talked a little bit about the, what we had a whole episode on the Top of the Martyrs and, and their influence on workers' rights. And the Match Girl Strikes is very similar to that. It's one of the earliest recorded strikes in the UK, and it wasn't only ran by women, but it was also ran by young girls as young as 13 years old. So let's get into it. This is in the 18, 1820s, 1830s. So we're talking quite quite long ago. And I I saw, in very me style, I saw this story on TikTok and was like, oh, that's really interesting. And I was surprised that you didn't know about it, but then I don't think many people do. So let's get into it. So I've got like very substantial notes that I've got from all different websites. I'm excited. Yeah, so obviously obviously we know like from the Industrial Revolution that working men and women have been withhold labour as a means of bargaining for better pay and conditions. And the Bryant and May dispute, which is the Match Girl Strikes dispute, was the first strike by unorganised workers to gain national publicity. So you probably haven't heard of the Match Girl Strikes because the official Office for Statistics didn't start collecting data on strikes until 1891 and the match girl strikes was in 1888 so it was a, like it kind of just missed the cutoff point um i was on the office national statistics and it's got like loads of like graphs and stuff but it was just like a little bit late to get this strike in even though it was so like influential could it be suggested that the strikes were so influential that the office of national statistics started they were like oh we need to start recording these yeah, I think so, but then... Like, could it almost be a causation of the recording of those? But then if it is, why haven't they recorded the strike that made them start taking the statistics, you know? Well, it might be because I imagine... Obviously, the Office of National Statistics... <laughs> wow, this is a warm-up for the new microphones. ...are a government body. Mm-hmm. I imagine the strikes ended up sort of... I don't want to jump the gun on the story, but I imagine as often working right strikes do ended up putting some pressure on the government so it was the sort of thing where they were like we'll 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 acknowledge this but in like three (laughs) four years time and we don't want them to know that actually they were the cause of this (laughs) yeah maybe that might probably be the right thing you're saying so in 1826 matches were invented by john walker and they revolutionized how we created fire it was super hard to make fire until then um and so like Obviously, the matchstick industry just blew up, not in the actual way, like because it's fire, but like because it was really popular. And the factory owners were making loads of money, but the workers were treated horribly. They were working super long hours, really dangerous chemicals. Um, Obviously, now matches have red tops and that's red phosphorus, but they used to use white phosphorus. And if you're exposed to white phosphorus over a long time, it can cause fossy jaw, which I talked about before. I have, this is why I thought about Bob Fosse because in my notes, in brackets, I put Q Chicago joke, uh, which, you, which you don't know anything about musicals. So you're not going to get that. I've heard of Chicago. Yeah. I know it's the one that um, a lot of the advertising, they'll use like a sexy outlined pair of legs. Yeah. Ooh, Chicago. It's also... Is there... Oh, wait, I think I might know a song from it. Go on. Is there a... The, the jailhouse rock? No. I, I know. know what you're thinking of, and I can't. It's um, the pop six squish. It's like six women. I, I, maybe. It's like six women, and they're talking about how they killed the men in their life. But yeah, potentially. <laughs> I just know there's a song 
maybe called the jailhouse it's rock. not called from the Chicago. jailhouse rock i don't think it's the jailhouse rock and elvis song, yeah yeah it? jailhouse rock is an elvis song but is i it? think yeah. you're thinking of um jailhouse blues pops the jailhouse somethings oh it's called the cell block tango the cell block tango yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's basically the jailhouse <laughs> rock but it's not far off is it <laughs> basically the same thing I feel like I would have got Cell Block Tango if it was in front of me as a multiple choice question. Would you have, though? Yeah, because I know as soon as you say Cell Block Tango, I'm like, that's a song from Chicago. If I'd have read that in a pop quiz, but in a quiz where I have to say the name, wouldn't have got it. (laughs) So, Fossy Jaw caused the bones of the jaw to deteriorate. It's like... It's like, it just kind of smooths out the whole and like can cause like problems with your teeth, obviously, um, and it's just like the bottom jaw, and you it it looks really odd. There's pictures online of like, and it, the pictures are of the girls who worked in the factory, but it just looks horrible. So the Bryant and May factory sold 27.9 million boxes of matches at their height, and the factory was based in East London and took up three acres of land or 12,000 square meters. Um, women and girls worked in the factory, many of them just 13 years old. They worked from 6.30am to 6pm and had two breaks. Workers' pay varied from two pence to four... Sh- what are you laughing at? I'm literally thinking about working 12-hour shifts and being like, two breaks? God, they were lucky. <laughs> I've worked loads of minimum wage jobs where I wouldn't have got two breaks for 12 hours. <laughs> so, t- so he tells me the breaks probably weren't very long. <laughs> they also um actually to be fair they didn't have a break room so they um the women would have to eat where they worked which also didn't help because there were chemicals all over the place so they were eating chemicals as well the pay varied from two pence to four shillings but workers were fined regularly and this was taken off their pay so they were fined for having an untidy workbench for talking or having dirty feet because uh, many of the workers worked barefoot. Shoes were just obviously expensive. There was uh, money detected for being late and they were charged a shilling for burning a match on the workbench. No, not having a burning a match, even for just having a burnt match on the workbench. Um, and they were also charged if they went to the toilet and stuff. So you never really knew how much money you were going to get because everything you yeah. did was fined. The women and girls were involved in boxing up the matches, had to pay the boys who bought them the frames and the drying ovens wow. and had to supply their own glue and brushes. So again, that's more money on top of like having t- mm. an, of like an unstable pay. One girl dropped a box of, box of matches and was fined six pence. Brighton and May were aware of Fossy Draw as a problem with the workers. And if a worker complained of having toothache, which is like one of the earlier signs of it, they were told to have the, the teeth removed immediately or they would be sacked. So... Wow. Immediately. Yeah, literally. So it was like, they knew they knew that they were in an, an unhealthy workspace. But if you... If, you, if something came up, then that was it. You just take the tooth out and you carry on. So one of the key forces behind the strike is Annie Besant. Uh, in 1887, she joined forces with William Steed to establish the newspaper The Link. The Halfpenny Weekly carried on its front page a quotation from Victor Hugo, which said, I will speak for the dumb. I will speak of the small to the great and the feeble to the strong. I will speak for all the despairing silent ones. 
And so this newspaper campaigned against sweated labour, extortionate landlords, unhealthy workshops, child labour and prostitution. And on June 23rd, Besant wrote an article criticising the factory after hearing Clementina Black give a speech on female labour in London. And also, as a fun fact, Clementina was mates with Karl Marx's daughter. So they were all BFFs. They were all being big old communists in the, in the place. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if his kids were communists. I imagine that he probably spoke to I them. I think he lived quite a miserable life. Did he? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you know much about his life, but I don't think he had a great, I don't think he had a great time. Oh, sorry, Carl. He wrote a very good book, but <laughs> a very historically relevant book. I'll put a balance. <laughs> BBC voice. <laughs> Other economic... Economic <laughs> policy books are available. <laughs> I, I think he, um, he, yeah, he lived quite. He lived quite a harsh. He lived in obviously as of the time. He lived in quite severe poverty, and I think some of his children didn't make it oh. out of childhood. Yeah. Sorry, Carl, if you're listening. That's all right. Oh well, I just accepted your apology. You've taken on Carl. You've taken on Karl Marx. I will pass that on to him. <laughs> I've seen a median later. So uh, um, as a receptionist <laughs> now, you wouldn't believe what he it pays takes them. so long to get in contact with Karl Marx at the minute. Everything that's going on, I just want to chat to him. <laughs> so after Besant had uh, Clementina talk, she went on to interview several girls who worked at the factory before releasing the article in t- entitled White Slavery in London. The company reacted by attempting to force their workers to sign a statement that they were happy with their working conditions, which is perfect. Sounds like Amazon <laughs> and their fake Twitter accounts that they have, <laughs> allegedly. Yeah, allegedly, their fake Twitter accounts. And then when a group of women refused to sign, the organiser of the women was sacked. And so 1,400 women of the Bright and May factory went on strike. There was previous strikes against the match tax in 1871 and the lowering of wages in 1885, um, which had hinted at the solidarity of the match workers and their potential for resistance. However, the action in 1888 was more lasting as Annie Besant's bold leadership helped to give the girls organisation and direction. So they had a leader, they could do it before, I mean, people... I guess it just wasn't working for people. Like, if you you want to strike, but you have to live, you know? So, Brian and May denounced the, and this is a quote, twaddle of Mrs. Besson and other socialists. Which <laughs> is perfect. Sounds like something our current government <laughs> say. I can, yeah, I can hear <laughs> sound that far twaddle. away from her. <laughs> The statement made now. Um, and they issued threats of legal action. Besson organised a strike fund. So there was an appeal for donation that launched in the link and other sympathetic newspapers and money rolled in from all quarters. Even the London Trades Council, Council, which is like a body representing skilled craftsmen, which had like traditionally rejected associations with unskilled workers, pledged its support. So again, it's like the the similarities between this and Tolpuddle are like really similar, like having a fund to help the families in Tolpuddle, whereas this is like a fund to help the women live and like be, make sure that they can get paid when they're not working, which is really exciting. Like it's, it's I don't know why, like something about this is really exciting to me in the fact that like there were people supporting women and like same with Tolpuddle, like they're supporting women, but that was a, that was men that they'd heard about and then supported the women thereafter but but it was so known that these were women that were striking and like having people especially in such a sexist time like i don't know it was good i read it and i was like 
Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's it's the point where almost class solidarity mm-hmm. didn't outweigh obviously the sexism of the time. I guess the, the argument is people then didn't know they were being sexist; they were just behaving in the way that they thought was normal. Yeah. And so that there was no contrast between that behavior and then like the class solidarity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I always find it interesting, and uh, as you say, it's the same with Tolpod or the point where these things transcend their bubble yeah so as you say like the point where it gets so big that the skilled workers union are like no we want to throw our weight behind mm-hmm. this even though it doesn't necessarily fit our traditional yeah, who they were. annie and william the people from the newspaper called for a boycott of bryant and may matches emmeline pankhurst was one of those who became involved in the strike big up emmeline 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 I'm not going to go on record as telling you how to say the name of one of the founders of the suffragettes movement, (laughs) Katie. You can say Emmeline, Emmeline, however you choose, and I will happily accept it. (laughs) I am not that foolish. Man explains how to pronounce founder of suffragettes woman. (laughs) Name to woman. Um... So I'm gonna go with Emmeline. I think Emmeline is better. So well, you'd be wrong. <laughs> you just turn it 360. You're like, actually, no. I think I should do this. <laughs> so Emmeline, in her biography, recalled. And she says, quote, I threw myself into the strike with enthusiasm, working with the girls and with some women of prominence. Amongst these, the celebrated Mrs. Annie Besant. It was a time of tremendous unrest, of labour agitations, of strikes and lockouts. It was a time also when a most stupid reactionary spirit seemed to take possession of the government and the authorities. <laughs> ah, what, what an isolated time it was and how we've changed. I can't so. believe it's just so nice that things get better, isn't it? It's just so lovely. <laughs> it's so great to look back on these things and think, wow. <laughs> so the women at the company formed a, a union called the Match Girls Union and Besson agreed to become its leader. After three weeks, the company announced that it was willing to re-employ the dismissed women and would also bring an end to the fine system. The women accepted the terms and returned in triumph. So, like, that's, like, the the story, obviously. it's uh, That's not very long, but I think it's really important. But I've still got some more about, like, the impact that they had on the stuff. So, the Match Girls strike was a key moment in British history. Pale, thin, and undersized, the girls were unlikely heroines of labour militancy. And yet it is widely accepted that their strike sparked off the rise of unskilled unionism, or new unionism, uh, new unionism as it is known, across the country. Historian Pauline Gregg wrote, The victory of these hitherto unorganised and lowly girls, which is a bit far, Pauline, uh, struck a spark all over the lower ranks of labour, and contemporaries were also quick to realise the strike's significance. And on August 4th, 1888, the link described how the strike put, a, put new heart into all who are struggling for liberty and justice. The Match Girl's success gave the working class a new awareness of their power, which is always the best, and unions sprang up in industries where unskilled workers had previously remained unorganised. So in 1889, there was a gas workers and general labourers union formed 
uh, and they won an eight-hour day. And in August of the same year, a 60,000-strong docker strike, which virtually closed one stretch of the Thames for over a month, was accompanied by dozens of other stoppages. So, like, these women helped form these unions, and, like, I hadn't heard of them until I saw a TikTok the other day. Like, I think that's so mad that, like, that it's such a big thing. And obviously had such a huge ripple effect on how we work and, like, the Industrial Revolution that, like, is mad, I think, you know? There's a famous... I'm going to do a little Google quickly Mm -hmm. because I want to check myself on this. But I, there is an aspect of the story that I know, which is that there is a famous story about a match, a match girl. Is there? Yeah, there's a fairy tale. Really? So yeah, the reason I know about it, I don't know about it from the original story. I know about it from cultural interpretations of interpretations of blah blah blah, blah that reference the original story, which is a Hans Christian Andersen story called The Little Match Girl. Obviously, it was in Danish originally, which was first published in 1845. And it is basically the story of a little a young girl on New Year's Eve shivering and barefoot trying to sell matches in the street. Mm. And it is a, a fairy tale about the little match girl. And uh, unfortunately, she dies. And it is supposed to be like a kind of Dickensian story about like look at how we're treating yeah that's crazy because then like this strike didn't happen until 1888 but then obviously it's like since 19 no since 1926 since 1826 this is how people have been treated and also with the new like rules and stuff they also gave the girls canteens to to eat out of not canteens like like different bowls to eat out of so that they didn't mix chemicals in their food and they gave them somewhere to eat so like they started looking after them better they would wouldn't be working so much and like they wouldn't have so many long hours and things and like 6 or 6.30 doesn't seem like a lot, but I guess... But, like, when you're on your feet making, like, matches, which I can imagine are really hard to Well, make. when you can't talk, when you're fined for talking... Yeah, your brakes are probably, you know, as much as I made a joke about it earlier on, as you, you are right, your brakes are probably, like, five minutes and you sit at your workspace and you cram whatever... Yeah, food, food you can you've been able to afford yeah. into your face, which is loaded with chemicals because of the working space. Yeah, it's crazy. But that is the match girl strike. Before I move on to the summary, I, just, I think it's really interesting. Um, I was listening to a podcast talking about um, sort of history of India and Britain's involvement in India and the East India Trading Company. And I think something that you mentioned and it relates to the newspaper element is lots of the things that people nowadays when they are using and you know i semi used it but not genuinely as an actual argument when when people say oh but that was accepted of the Mm. time is a complete rewrite of the history and that there's quite a lot of newspaper evidence to show that people involved in certain historical things were vilified at the time Mm. and people knew it was going on and knew it was wrong and this sort of idea of yes but it was accepted at the time it's like no that's that's historical revisionism people were against it at the time people knew it was wrong people were against it and this sort of odd idea of you know we're rewriting our history we're not we are becoming aware of the multitude multitudinal nature of history Mm. to which there are always people of like kind of the idea of like and it's prevalent 
because of the rise of the internet that we now have access to every single opinion on <laughs> every single topic and we sort of think like oh we're more divided than we ever have been and it's like no we just have moved from a place where you can't get access to every single opinion you know yeah you do have major narratives that win out and certain historians will go back and look at minor minor narratives but not the official narrative that's been pushed and sort of re-earth and show that you know history is a continuously developing thing and continuously being negotiated Mm. yeah literally like and it's you obviously there were people with different opinions like and i think that's something we probably don't think about because because i always think of like (laughs) history right like if it's in if if you can take a photo of it in color then it's not that long ago but if it's in black and white then it's a completely different time do you know what i mean yeah, like i understand that like that yeah because it's like a jarring yeah thing for you as someone that's only ever seen something in color and there'll be a version of that in the future when we when pictures are the out of date <laughs> technology and it's like 3d holograms yeah will be the normal and and people will look at color pictures 2d pictures and they'll be like what is this this old thing that i found in my grandparents loft of all these picture albums that they printed out and they stuck in (laughs) by hand and i could just 3d simulate this memory you know it's a bit like live photos i'm imagining yeah like live 3d little video holograms yeah and it's like something like civil rights the civil rights movements especially the black civil rights movement like like there are pictures of that in color but we only ever see the black and white pictures and that's it feels like it feels like that's something to like make it feel like it was so long ago and we've moved so far from it but really it's not like it's it's still a similar it's still a recent thing so at the same time that people were being put on the moon yeah (laughs) (laughs) like we had the power to put people on the moon but we didn't have the power to let people drink from the same water fountains as other people that is if you believe that we actually went to the moon oh yeah which we're covering in a different episode (laughs) i don't know i don't want buzz aldrin to turn up and punch me in the face (laughs) (laughs) bursts in (laughs) smacks me okay david you have a minute can I, before we start the minute, yeah, I just want to quickly get some some name checks of the main characters. Is that okay? I don't want to, like, these uh... are important people from history, and I just want to make sure that I've got their names down. No? I, I guess I mean, I'll allow it. If that's, I guess if I'll allow cheating it. the rules. No, 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 I, I guess I'll allow it. I want to check. No, I'll allow it, I'll allow it. Um, so... Oh, I was going to tell you what I think they okay, are. Okay, you go, you go, and then you, you go. Can... Yeah, yeah. So, Anne Besant. Annie Besant. Annie Besant yeah. and William Steed yeah. Yeah. are the kind of main characters. And then Emmeline Pankhurst. Yeah, she's there. Oh my God, have we got a southwest, southwest and north-south divide? Because <laughs> I, I would have, had I decided to tell you how I think her name should be pronounced, I would have gone with Emmeline. Is it a north-south thing that you've gone Emmeline? Um, think about that. No, David, because I was editing the ashes before we re- recorded this, and you said Emmeline, so which that which is why I I went into. Did I say? Yeah, because did I mention her in the? No, you were talking about roller derby, and you said that someone was called Emmeline Spankhurst. Yeah, that's true. But the person that said that was from Wales, Northern oh. Wales, which we could debate about whether that's in the north of England or not. <laughs> so, okay, well. <laughs> 
Emily and Emmeline. We'll look it up after. Why don't you try and get both in to go like Emmeline? Emmeline. <laughs> anyway, right. You've had your names. Yeah. I'm going to start okay. the timer now. Matches were invented in the 1820s. Uh, previously, fire was hard to get hold of, uh, apart from in lightning storms and big <laughs> forest fires. Um, so matches as a business went on fire. Nice. Business was burning everywhere mm-hmm. um and unsurprisingly because it's the 19th century the working conditions were horrible yeah. uh and most of the people that worked in the factories were women or young girls mm-hmm. uh, as young as 13 uh there'd been previous attempts to organize to change the working conditions but they had failed mm-hmm. um there was a company that sort of had a name that sounded like brighton and something uh, until Annie Besson and William Steed founded a newspaper called The Link, uh, which led with a quote from Victor Hugo, which was like, will you stand up for people that can't stand up for themselves? And they unionised. Um, the factory decided That's to um, sack anyone that... Oh, <laughs> a minute. I'll give you another minute. The factory just, this is my, me, I was like, I'll be cocky and I'll slow down at the start <laughs> because I've got time because it's not that long. You're also story. taking up your time and right I now. You're at 50 seconds. Up. So they unionized. Uh, the company said that they tried to force the uh, workers that weren't striking to sign a thing to say the working conditions were great, but they weren't. And they protested. The protest gained a large um, PR marketing <laughs> appeal, um, so much so that the skilled workers union threw them weight behind it um annie managed to get the working conditions com- improved uh emmeline pankhurst joined in and got involved uh, she was part of the strikes and the conditions were improved by the company the end 10 seconds left a minute and 50 seconds it takes and they to all that. lived happily ever after <laughs> something tells me they maybe didn't <laughs> And then World War One happened, <laughs> and they all went back to the factories working with chemicals. But they were doing it for blighty, and it was different chemicals this time, so it was fine. Yes, they were using one of those ruddy Germans. <laughs> Perfect. I'm so happy you said that. They're all happy to work sixteen-hour shifts because they were doing it for king and country. Oh gosh, I don't think I, I don't think I've got the minerals to to go through another war. Like I don't think I could be patriotic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> I think this, I think the version of patriotism you're thinking about, I think there is a version of patriotism you could get behind. I don't think that ever But is. it's not the version of patriotism that we currently encourage. I just don't know, actually. Maybe. No, if, you, if there was a version of patriotism that was like, we're going to celebrate how incredibly diverse Britain is. Look at all of these incredible different people that all belong to this, you know patch of land that they've all been accidentally born in or joined because of historical circumstances i think that's a version of patriotism we can get behind if it's like the hey only white people (laughs) version of patriotism then maybe not less less exciting yeah there's like a version of it we can actually get behind i think maybe maybe we'll have to wait until the next world war to see but I'm sure we, we will. Um, so to be honest, I don't, I don't know if I don't think the next world war is a one that's going to go on in quite the way that the previous ones did. Now that we've all the countries that are probably involved have like the technology to 
destroy the entire other country. Mm. Like, I feel like it would be like a six-month job. <laughs> oh, no. You're so right as get well. get it boxed off. Get it boxed off. It'll all be over by Christmas. <laughs> hey! What a World War One throwback. <laughs> Perfect. Right, shall we move on to the game? Shall we move on to our game? I've got three songs from World War One. <laughs> to guess what they are. This week's game, we are doing Top of the Tots. Top of the Tots. This is a week of Top of the Tots. I don't necessarily know if there is a hard, <laughs> medium and easy Could that be because of this. you've made this five I think minutes these before quite, <laughs> I think these are all quite easy is more the issue because uh. I did... Remember that I had to do Top of the Tots five minutes before. Um, but that suggests that a lot of the stuff doesn't take place five minutes before <laughs> on this podcast, which it does. Kaylee, David. are you ready? Yeah. For song one uh-huh. of this week's Top of the Tots. Oh, it's a Titanic song. Uh, Celine Dion, My Heart Will Go On. Oh. Perfect. Bam. Also, Done. I ten seconds. I hate two points. Bosh. This top when I when I edit this top of the tots right. Maybe it's because I know the songs, or maybe it's because my internet isn't great. Like I got that from like just like a very small snippet because my internet cut. And sometimes when I'm editing it, it's so long before I get the song, and I can't cut it down at all because then you're not. No. Because that's cheating. <laughs> Every week, Kaylee immediately responds two seconds as I pl- as I hit the play button. She's like, "Ah, is this Selenium?" <laughs> right, next one. Right, song number two. Song number two. This is probably the hardest. Oh gosh. In a very easy quiz. Okay. Okay. I can't hear it. Put it up closer to the mic. Turn your phone away because I can see what it says. It's um. Is it Rebel Rebel? Is that the name of the song? Yeah. It's Rebel Rebel. Is that a Bowie song? It is. <gasps> is it? Is a David Bowie song. Oh, well, there's another Correct. name that we pronounced. You didn't even get that from the fact that I pointed yeah. the phone screen at the camera. <laughs> I you had to be like, just, just enough stop. to make the audience think <laughs> that it hadn't spoiled. Right, I picked this one uh-huh. just because I don't think this song should be a lullaby. Oh no! Let me. S- <laughs> I think it's "Killing in the Name of." Oh no! I would listen to that. <laughs> That's an important message that children need to learn. <laughs> Some of those that work forces. Is it WAP? <laughs> no. Oh, the, the look in your face then made me feel like I'd guessed it before it started. No, 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 no. Okay. Um, I just love that song, so <laughs> I was happy that it was mentioned. Right, song three, oh, also easy. Okay. Oh my god, what is this song? What is this song? What is this song? Is it Poker Face? It is not Poker Face. 
can you put it closer to the mic again? Oh! It's SM! No. Yes? By Rihanna? No. Yeah, it's SM by Rihanna. I <laughs> just wanted to see if you would talk yourself out of it. <laughs> S-S-S-S-M-M-M-M by Rihanna or Fenty something are you trying to Fent? I don't know her birth name Fenty something no her birth name's Robin oh I'm sure wait who's Fenty oh no <laughs> her like second Fenty. name's Fenty it's Robin yeah. Fenty yeah Fenty Look at me. I know Rihanna. You know things. I know her by the you name know pop Fenty. <laughs> I do. I text her I on the weekends. Hi, Fenty. How S&M are you? SNM stands for spreadsheets and mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, what no. me and my partner do at the weekends. S&M. Oh, stop it. Spreadsheet and mathematics. Don't talk to me about it. What about S&M? No. And what you do at the weekends? Not you. Anyone else? <laughs> Okay. Oh, don't say it like that. I hope our audience. I hope our audience feels as uncomfortable as I do. <laughs> <laughs> You're uncomfortable. I'm also uncomfortable. Excellent. And what a place to leave this week's episode with everyone uncomfortable. Just remember, as you go about your day, oh, no. having listened to this episode, oh. that it takes one tree to make a thousand matches. But it only takes one match to burn a thousand trees. I don't think that's correct. And that's the stereophonics lyric. Goodbye! <laughs> Bye, everybody! Thanks, everybody, for listening this week. Uh, if you'd like to find me on socials, I'm Kaylee X Hunt on Twitter and Instagram. And David? I don't know. Uh, You're Dusty95 on Twitter I'm... and Instagram. <laughs> I am, I thank you. you. I've been reliably informed that uh, my <laughs> handles are dousty95, that's spelt like oust the spray, but with a D on the front. Um, ousty95. Please enjoy my terrible content. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. thank you for listening. Uh, we will see you next week for more knowledge. For the hunt for more knowledge. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>